Amen. Thank you. Thank you to our worship team. We appreciate you guys so much. Yeah. And bye to our junior hires. Hey, as we're getting settled in and kind of turning our, our attention towards the word this morning, I, I want to um, embarrass Katie Novella, who's sitting right there. Katie, would you just go like this real quick? Um, Katie and her husband, Isaac, came to me and said, hey, we like to do creative stuff. And is there any way we could get involved in helping to, with the stage and, and design? We said, sure, let's go for it. And so the beautiful tapestries that you see here are, are the fruit of their labor. So thank you, guys. I meant to thank you last week. I love the approach that she had of just like just getting into it and, and excited for where we are in scripture. And so the colors reflect the desert, the colors reflect, I mean, it feels kind of like Old Testament, doesn't it? It just is so beautiful. And, and for us in the office, we saw them come, you know, we're laying them out and everybody began to fight over them and say, okay, when those are done, that would look really cool in this room or in this room or whatever else. So the fight is still on, Katie. There's been no... Um, there's been no, um, whatever the word is. Anyways, done with that sentence. You know, sometimes you just need to figure out how to end a sentence. And when it's public, it's really awkward. Um, hey, this morning, I want to jump right back into Exodus chapter 19. Last Sunday, I got to say, was just a tremendous time in God's presence. It was really beautiful to see the body of Christ be the body of Christ, to minister to one another and, and to, um, to really just sit in his presence. And sometimes we say we... we um, we can kind of gauge how the, 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 the spirit is moving when no one wants to leave afterwards, right? And, and that was kind of cool that just to see people hanging out for another half hour, 45 minutes, just visiting, talking, praying for one another. And, and I'm, I'm just so blessed to see what God's doing. God's on the move here in our church. It's evident. It's, it's tangible. We can feel it. We know that he's at work, and so we're so grateful to him. And um, and I, I made a note here. I need to say something to um, Ron and Shelly. We are so happy, sad, right? Uh, we're, we're, we're happy for you guys that you're, you're following the will of the Lord in the direction that he's led you on into Idaho. And, uh, and we, we want to call it greener pastures because you literally have green pastures that you get to live on. Um, but um, we want to bless you guys. And, and if it's okay with you at the end of the service, we want to have you come up. And anyone that wants to join, we want to pray over you and really send you off with our blessing. I know, Shelly, this will probably be the last Sunday we see you for a while. And Ron will be hanging out, um, closing his business here and moving things over to Idaho. So you'll still get to see Ron's pretty face. And, uh, but, um, but at any rate, we want to pray for you guys and really bless you guys. And so, yeah. Um, in Exodus chapter 19, uh, we just got to the first maybe six or seven verses because it was so powerful. And, um, and, and today I want to kind of round out that chapter and, and, and end that portion of scripture. Uh, but you might remember just to, to catch you up on, um, on, on what we talked about, that this is the, the, the part where the children of Israel encamp at Mount Sinai. And they're going to be here for a good long time. We said that they're going to be here for the remainder of the book of Exodus on into Leviticus and partway through Deuteronomy. And so there's a long stretch of time that this is home base. We said that their, their camp was a hot place. It was a windy place. That it wasn't like, uh, you know, going to Yosemite um, with your Yeti and your Easy Up and your Bear Spray. This was, this was a refugee camp that probably had more than one million people that were together, men, women, and children, with all the stuff that you would need to prepare for and provide for with that, that group. And it's at this place where God begins to really show up in power. And when I say that, it's not as if he hadn't shown up in power before. In fact, he reminds them of how much power he has shown them 
But, but he's going to show up in a really dramatic way with, with like, I mean, like smoke and trembling mountain and thunderous voices. And, and, and one of the ways that you could think of it is it's terrifying, right? That God would show up in a terrifying way. And sometimes when you attach that, um, that, that terminology or that word with God, you can, you can get a wrong idea. But see, this is part of the mystery of God that, yes, he's our father. And yes, um, we, we are allowed to approach him with coming boldly to this throne of grace. But don't ever forget that God is holy. He is holy. And this passage of scripture and this portion of scripture unpacks it so well. And I'll, I'll get into it in just a moment. But, but, but after this... Um, opportunity for God to really just speak to his people. You know, he, he lays out the law, the Ten Commandments. Andy's going to preach uh, next Sunday, and he'll, he'll kick us off with the Ten Commandments. And then you got ten chapters of ordinances and, and, and lots of stuff that goes with it. But what we said last week that was so important was that before God said anything that he required or wanted from his people, he reminded them of what he had done for them. Do you remember this? That, that, that before God asks anything of us, he reminds us that we're in a relationship so that, so that we don't have to guess what his will is. How many of you have those people where you're just trying to figure out, what do you want from me? You know what I mean? You're, you don't quite know. It's like they're, they're like shifting shadows. God is not a shifting shadow. He is solid. His, his word is true. And so he, he lays out, this is, this is what it means for you to walk in my will. And by the way, what he lays out is so heavy and impossible. But he lays it out. And he's, he's, he's paving the way for the, for the gospel. He's paving the way for Jesus. And so he reminds them in, in Exodus 19.5, if you want to turn there with me, this is what it says. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all people. For the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, And these are the words that you shall speak to the children of Israel. Prior to that verse, he reminds them of how he delivered them and how he carried them on eagles' wings. Do you remember this? Um, I I, I shared with you last week, I spent a little time researching how animals could potentially be carried on eagles' wings. And, and, you know, the Internet's just a terrible place because you just keep looking. And some people say, no, that's impossible. And other people say, no, there's evidence of it. And I shared with you out of Deuteronomy, it was pretty clear. It wasn't within the eagle's talons. It's within the eagle's wings. That, that it's a different scenario to be carried in a place where you're hanging on to God. And how many of you can say he's carrying me, but I sure need to be hanging on to him. That's the idea. And so there's this one picture, this first picture of the little bird on the back of the eagle. Um, This is quite possibly not a Photoshop photo. Um, But you just never know. I I feel like it was from a reputable source, you know. And and it shows this this smaller bird on this larger bird. And and, and there's a a hanging on that's happening. and, And the big bird's doing all the work for sure. Now, this next one, I'm, I'm certain, is not Photoshop. This is one that I, I checked all my sources on. And this shows the difference of how an eagle could carry um, another animal. <laughs> <laughs> Powerful bird. And, 
And it's important to note on this one that, that in those talons, that would be painful, you know, for, for that, that large deer. Um, if, if you, if you, if you want to have some fun later in the afternoon as you celebrate Sabbath, you know, um, you, might, you, you might go through and look at some of this stuff because there's some eagles that are actually carrying sharks and eagles that are carrying alligators and uh, an eagle that I think is carrying an elephant. So this is amazing. This animal is quite amazing. So anyways, you can take that off. I was tempted to show one more. It was this really bad eagle tattoo on the back of a guy. And it was like the wings were his shoulders. And I was going to tell you that I got that tattoo. But it was so cool because the guy could go like this. And the, the eagle would fly. It's amazing. <laughs> but, but I hope that the imagery, not of the deer, but the one of the, the sweet bird. It's Honestly, i got to be honest. It's really not a sweet bird. I think that bird was coming in on an attack for the eagle and like pecking at it. But anyways, the, the, the image of the bird or, or, or being carried would stick with you. And the, the importance of that is that he's done this for you, but he, he's delivered you, he's saved you, he's reminding you of this, but, but we're in relationship. And the relationship is he's doing the heavy lifting, but we're not, we're not just effortlessly there. We're hanging on. We're hanging on. And so hang on. If there's ever a time to hang on, it's now. Uh, I, I mean, if there's ever an, a, a new bit of bad news you could receive, I mean, come on, right? Like, even throughout this week, as you are processing through this invasion of Ukraine or whatever the future holds or whatever else, to know that we as the people of God have this ability to hang on to a God who is in control, who's doing the heavy lifting, but we're in relationship with him. We're hanging on to him. And my prayer is that together as a church body, that's exactly what we'll be doing. Here's the promise of God in this covenant language, and, and here's where we break into to, 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 to today. And if you're... If you're um, Looking for a, a title for today's message, um, there's this, there's, you could just call it the third day, because something on the third day was going to be very important, and so if you want to title your notes that. Um, but these are, the, these are the, the byproducts, or this is what will happen as the people obey the covenant of God. He says that they will be his treasure. And we looked at that word treasure, that the word treasure for a king who owns everything. So in, in this biblical context, uh, kings would own everything. Like what doesn't a king own, right? He's in charge, he's sovereign over everything in his particular nation. So for a king to have treasure, it's a specific word that it was like his favorite stuff. It was the things of value that he valued the most. And, and the definition was my own personal delight. And so to think of the way that God sees you as his treasure, that you are the apple of his eye, that you're his own personal delight, it's powerful. Secondly, that the people, and, and, uh, the people were called um, through this covenant to be a holy nation, a different kind of human society. They would look different, act different, be different, be a light to the nations. And that's still true for us today in Christ. And third, um, they would be called priests of the Lord, mediators that bring God to people. Um, you think of Jesus' words to us, go into all the world and preach the gospel. This, this bears of light in bringing the good news, um, this priestly function that we have in our world today. And so that was the covenant. And so when the people heard these things, Okay, put yourself in their shoes, camping out, base of the mountain, it's kind of freaky, Moses keeps going up and coming down, and, and God's on the move, there's a tangible feeling and experience of his presence, and then God gives a message and says, remember what I did, and if you do these things, this is what will happen for you. And so we pick up in verse 7. In verse 7 it says, so Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. 
And all the people answered. So remember, he says, this is what you do. You obey all this. And here's the people's answer. Together, in one beautiful voice, they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. Now, if you've read the Bible or if you've read ahead in the book of Exodus, what do you think about that statement? All that you say, we will do. Man, just a few chapters later, they're doing bad stuff and worshiping a cow that was made of gold and saying, it wasn't God that brought us out of Egypt, it was this cow. It's crazy, right? And it's so tempting for us to go, what a bunch of fools. But it gets really scary when we start to take a look at our own lives and our own nature and the way that we can often make quick commitments to God. God, if you do this, I'll do that. Or or based on a feeling or emotion, God, I'm all in. You know, Jesus spoke to this. You remember? Uh, Jesus spoke to this in in speaking to the crowds. So it must have been amazing when Jesus was on the scene and seeing the, the way that he put the religious elite in their place and seeing the way that he um, picked up the, the, the wounded and brokenhearted and, and gave dignity to people who didn't have dignity. And, and, and then just the, the miracle stuff must have been electric. You know, people who not seeing, seeing, and the lame walking. And so, as you'd imagine, you'd get the, the tight group that followed him, but there was like a lot of groupies. They were, they were called the crowd, right? The crowd followed And Jesus spoke to the crowd at times, and I want to say in my humble opinion, but I really believe it to be true, I think he purposely offended them to try to like weed them out. He said things like, hey, it's cool that you guys are following me, but unless you hate your mom and dad and come and follow me, you're not worthy of the kingdom. What do you do with that? You know, and as you work through that, now that I've dropped that on you, you know, you need to kind of work through that, what hyperbole is or what these statements that are made that Jesus clearly wasn't saying, go hate your parents because he would be violating the commandment to honor them. That's not our God. But he's saying that the love that you have for me, the commitment that you have for me is, is on a different level than even the commitment that you have for your, for your earthly parents and all the cultural stuff that goes with it because that's a whole other sermon for a different time. But in that passage of scripture, uh, and, and, in, and you can look at this one too, uh, Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, he said to this crowd, like the followers that were coming along with him, watching what he was doing and digging it, he says, if anyone would come after me, let, check this out, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. I've made this statement from this pulpit many times that it's easier to die dead than it is to die daily. Let me say that again. It's easier to die dead than it is to die daily. The, the daily decision to, get, to sacrifice your flesh desires for kingdom desires. This is heavy stuff. I went there deep. I went there quick. I went from like an eagle with a deer right straight to this. I just want to say thank you for sticking with me. But this is real, isn't it? This is, the, this is um, what Jesus was saying that, that unless you're willing to daily Count the cost. And that's where in, in, and he doubles down in Luke, in Luke chapter 14. He, he goes into it and says, hey, you, builders don't build unless they throw the budget out first, right? This is a paraphrase. That you consider the cost of that tower, he says, before you build it so that you could actually finish it. And then he goes on and says, kings, they don't, they don't go to war unless they count the cost of what it's going to take to do it. And they come in with a plan. 
And somehow in this whole thing, he was saying that those who desire to follow me, those who are quick to say, like, yes, everything you say, we will do, you ought to really consider what that statement means and what that's going to take. And so for the children of Israel, um, some of the com- commentators would say they made, a hasty, they made a hasty oath, right? They made a hasty commitment. And why wouldn't they? Because God is so good and what he was offering was so beautiful, and, and for us, as we, we look to apply some of this, um, it, the challenge is real, and, and it, it will continue to intensify in this chapter as they approach God. But, but for us, this isn't a heavy word of condemnation, condemnation saying, you're a bunch of fake Christians and blah, blah. That's not it at all. The question is for us on a daily basis to sit before God and say, God, would you help me with the help of the Holy Spirit to be willing to, to deny what my flesh wants, what my personal desires are, to, in order to follow you? Let my faith, let my, my discipleship, let my walk with you mean something. Not just a cultural Christianity, but a, a follower of Jesus. There was a movement many years ago. People were, were coming away from the term Christian because it had, had uh, a bunch of political connections and whatever else. And people began to say, I don't want to attach myself with being a Christian because that means something that I don't want to say it means. But I want to be a follower of Christ. I don't know about all that, but I understand the logic of it, right? That, that we're not saying we're part of the club. But we're saying we are followers of Jesus, willing to daily pick up our cross and and, an instrument of offense, you know, and of death and say, hey, um, for for, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's a lot to think through. But again, on the application level, am I living a life surrendered to his will over my own? Am I willing to deny myself and take up my cross daily, living a significant life of sacrifice? In verse 9, as we continue on, it says, the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. I thought that was interesting that that God um, continued to validate Moses' leadership. That he said, hey, they're going to hear me talking to you and they're never going to forget it. (laughs) When Moses told the words to the people that the Lord said, he said, go down and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments. The word consecration means uh, to separate yourself from things that are potentially um, dirty, things that will, not just in the physical, but in a spiritual, separate yourself from anything that would contaminate yourself from being in the presence of a perfect and holy God. Now, for their context, there were different regulations or different rituals that you would do to consecrate yourself. It was a physical act that you would, you would do that had spiritual implications. And for our time here, I'm not going to go into all that. But I think the heart of what was being said is an extraordinary event is about to occur, and you can't just take it like it was another day, that something really big is going to happen and get ready for it. It's kind of like when you, um, maybe if you follow like the liturgical calendar and Easter's coming, which it is, right? And this coming Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. And some could follow these traditions in sort of a, a religious way and get a little ash on their forehead and not be sure really why. Um, but others can, can take it and embrace what it is and go, okay, for this season now, I'm going to intentionally give up something. I'm going to think daily on, on, on what was occurring and, and the significance of the cross. And then when Easter, Easter Sunday comes, man, I'm going to celebrate like no other. You follow me? That there was, there was this idea that, that this is not business as usual. 
And so we're going to do something to get us ready for um, this event. The revelation, the, 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 the voice of God from the mountain. And so um, the idea was anything that distracts, eliminate. Anything that would be potentially a contaminant, eliminate. And he goes on specifically in just a moment, we'll get there. But it made me think of James chapter 1 and verse 27. Uh, you can look there, it'll be on the screen if you'd like. It says, religion that's pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, which it's what I call the no-brainer. Any opportunity that you have to minister to somebody who's a widow, to minister to an orphan. This is the, the very heartbeat of God. And this is a, a familiar passage. And oftentimes we stop here. We don't look at what the, the other part of the passage says about pure and undefiled religion. The second part it says, and to keep oneself from being what? unstained by the world. And so you get this, this connection between these two thought processes that we as Christians, we, we, we consecrate ourselves, we act differently, we walk differently so that we don't become stained. It doesn't mean that we're not going to get mud flung on us. It doesn't mean that you're going to step in that puddle. But the stain is different than, than the, the dirt that gets on you. Are you following me? The stain sticks with you. And so when you, when, when you get something on you over and over again and you don't deal with it, what happens? I like OxyClean, right? You like OxyClean? You get something on something, your face it's like miraculous. You just put it on there, you wash it, and you throw it, and it's all gone. But if you don't do that and it, and it, and it stays in there, it, that shirt, those pants, whatever you have, your concrete, whatever, it's stained. And there's something to, to all of this that really hit me this week, you know, of the holiness of God as I was reading this. Is I had to ask myself the question, when was the last time I was convicted so deeply in my core that I broke and I wept before God? God, I'm so sorry for this. When was the last time that, and I'm not talking about this heavy-handed religion. I'm talking about my intimacy with God. In my intimacy with God, have I, have I gotten to the point where um, I've just sort of, yeah, yeah, another bit of bad news, another fearful thing, another whatever. Or am I one who's daily consecrating, who's, who's, who's doing my best to, to not let that stuff stain me, my own, my own mouth, the things that I say, the things that I listen to. I, I realize how, how loose we can be with our tongue. How, and it's so typical of us within the church, how there are like really bad sins, right? But things like gossip or slander or just, you know, that, that's just, you know, that's just kind of who I am. Everybody knows it's my personality. I'm not talking about myself, but I'm saying that this is, sort of a, this is sort of a thought process that we can engage in. Am I right? Like, I'm certainly not going to go get loaded or something, or I'm not going to commit adultery. That would be terrible, but I can gossip all day long and tear people up. I remember one time uh, I was much younger and my friend was just unloading on a mutual friend and talking about how like, you know, this, that and the other thing. And finally I was like, dude, she's our friend, man. And he goes, oh, bro, I would never say this stuff to her face. <laughs> we were Christians. But, but like somehow in that thought process, it was like, oh, I never heard her with those words. I'm just, I'm just getting it off my chest. I just got to vent. You need to find other ways to do that because that breaks the heart of God. It's clear in Scripture that that, that contributes to disunity. I'm just picking one because it's kind of safe and I'm probably pretty certain that it hits home for many of us. 
But there are other things that as we come near the holiness of God that we have to be aware of. Like, ooh, you got to keep that stuff in check. And if we're not feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we might have to look and go, did I get a little stain there? Did I get a stain? Holy Spirit, come and purify my heart. Consecrate me. The next passage is, is where we get into this idea of the third day. And this is where this chapter 19 started to get a little electric for me. I, I, I read verse 11 and it said, and be ready for the third day. Does that sound like anything to you? Does the third day remind you of anything? What? Just say it. Resurrection, right? How awesome. How awesome that these, these little, like, you know, um, clues are always pointing us towards Jesus. And, and if there was anything that you took away from, from today, if you just took that away, that'd be great. Be ready for the third day. That that's the posture of the believer living on the edge of their seat, just anticipating resurrection. Like, just living in the reality of a risen Savior. Man, that's so powerful. In verse 12, it goes on and it says, And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up to the mountain or touch the edge of it, for whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. That's kind of a strong rule, wouldn't you say? I thought about that, you know, you shall put limits. How many of you love some good boundaries in your life? And when you, when you put those boundaries there, it's cool if you put them there. Like, hey, I have a personal rule. I don't do X, Y, and Z. But how many of you love it when somebody else puts a boundary in your life? Come on, you're Americans. <laughs> I was just thinking, we were, having this, we were having this conversation of like how we navigated COVID, you know? And I remember the Sunday when we brought everybody back. And I remember we had this good idea that, you know, we wanted to obey the rules. And so we socially distanced everything. Do you guys remember those were terrible things? Remember the X's and the lines? And we had strategized and prayed. And we were being, wanted to be hospitable. And there was a sense of excitement that, hey, we're a little bit on the edge. We're a little earlier than we're supposed to be. But we're going to go for it anyways. And, but we're going to do it safely. And we had like great young people that were out there with smiles on their face. We called them, I think we were called like row hosts, you know. They were going to host you, bring you in. And what we did that violated the golden rule is we told you where to sit. You remember this? We said, hey, come on, you can sit right here. What? Man, we put our poor young people in the lion's den. They, it, it, it was a boundary that we were trying to set that we, I mean, we realize in retrospect now it was kind of, we shouldn't have done it that way because everybody was going through so much and the last thing that you wanted when you came back to your, the comfort of your worship environment was to be told another uh, what, regulation or, or, or mandate. <laughs> a dumb word, right? Another mandate. So we get it. But the point is this. We set a boundary and if anyone sets a boundary for you, your human reaction is to push it. You set a boundary for yourself. You're, the, you're your own God. You're like, sweet, this is what I'm doing. But if someone sets it for you, you're going to find the edge of it, and you're going to move it. Physically, you'll do it. You know? and I'm just not saying you as bridge, but we as humans. Someone puts a little parking thing here, says don't park. It's movable. Just move it. It's in our nature. Take care that you do not go up to the mountain or touch the edge of it, for whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall, shall touch him, or he shall be stoned or shot. Man, 
Whether beast or man, he shall not live. He's saying that God is holy. He's about to show up. Get ready. It's not business as usual. You will never forget this. But if you don't do it his way, you're dead. And watch your dog, too, because he'll be dead. Watch your cow. Watch all of them, because anything that comes near that line or that boundary, done. That was a bow and arrow. Because they didn't have, they only had. Thank you. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. This is so holy and this is so supernatural and you can't lose sight of it. I was studying this and I thought this when I read it. Like, who blew the trumpet? Right? I think it was heavenly. I think it was from the, I mean, a host of angels. It was those that could come near could do it. But otherwise, who else would be anywhere near to blow a trumpet? Amazing. They shall come, when the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. Hey, but you better not come before that moment. And so Moses went down the mountain to the people and he consecrated the people and he washed their clothes and he said to the people, be ready for the third day. And then he says this, don't go near a woman. What do you do with that? This one way to look at all of this is, is, is to be cautious. When you're reading the Old Testament, to be cautious how you interpret it, how you apply it. That you could now create a bunch of rituals that you want in, in your life that God doesn't intend for us to live under. So you gotta dig in what's the principle, not what's the um, the ritual. Are you following me? You, uh, you can get in a lot of trouble in the Old Testament if you follow ritual over what God is saying looking at it through the lenses of the New Testament, through being Christians, being followers of Jesus. I think the principle of setting limits or allowing yourself to be in a a setting where there are limits for you. I'm not talking about religious kind of cultic sort of control. if If you're a discerning person, you discern the difference between someone trying to control you. It's usually for that person's benefit, whether it's a religious leader or a group of people. It doesn't settle well with the Holy Spirit in you. There's a reaction to it. But, but putting yourself in an environment where there are things that are for your good, um, boundaries that are set there by the Holy Spirit, things that you know clearly in Scripture that you don't go towards, that's a principle. Washing of the garments, that's a physical act that had a spiritual significance. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, we're going to do that today. I can't wait. I hope I don't go on and on because I want communion to be so significant for us today. Anytime we come to the Lord's table, it's miraculous. But it is a physical event. Excuse me. It's a physical thing that we're doing, that we're, we're seeing and we're smelling and we're tasting and we're remembering the cross. There's nothing wrong with those things. They're helpful sometimes. But they're not an act other things, they're not acts that make us come closer to God. Abstaining and consecrating, and these things are, are, are ways that we, we separate ourselves from evil, but they aren't the thing that, that makes us more holy. For example, fasting. I love feasting. <laughs> Big fan of it. Fasting is very difficult. When I fast, when you fast, it doesn't make you better. It doesn't, it isn't like, Look at me, God, I went like a whole day. Tell me something awesome. When you fast, you're, you're, you're doing something 
that neglects the way, that, that is uh, stopping your flesh from what it wants is a tangible way, it's a scriptural New Testament way to, um, to maybe silence the flesh, you know, the, maybe wipe away some of those stains and, and attune your voice, your spirit closer to the voice of the Lord. Does that make sense? But these things in and of themselves don't make us more holy. So in other words, if I fast all the time, I, in, in fact, Jesus says, hey, don't, don't go around bragging about it. Don't go all long-faced and pale. And people say, oh, would you like to have lunch? Oh, I can. I would love to, brother. But you know, I'm on an extended fast. We have names for the fast, right? It's the Daniel fast or the this fast or whatever else. I'm not mocking that. I apologize if that sounded that way. But I'm saying the heart of that is not what Jesus intended. And so be careful what you do with what you're reading here. Don't, don't apply the ritual, dig in for the principle, dig in for what the heart of God was speaking to the people. In verse 16, it says, On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and the, and the very loud trumpet blasts so that the people in the camp trembled. Does that remind you of Something else that happened on the third day when stones are rolled away. And I mean, this is so remarkable. But I have to tell you, I was, I was, I think it was like Tuesday or Wednesday. I was out walking early in the morning. I was thinking about this and I was listening to chapter 19 in my headphones and, and uh, I just aged myself when I said headphones. But, um, but I was listening to them in my ears. And I was thinking about this passage, and I was thinking about that when, when you're, um, when there they are, and this trembling happens, and there's this, like, awe and, and, and fear, it's kind of like God was showing up on his terms, not on theirs. Don't we like God to show up how we want him to? You know, God, I love it on the third worship song when you do such and such. Like, I love whatever. But God was saying, here I am, and God showing up in their life was uncomfortable, And God's voice of what he was going to say was uncomfortable. But there's no doubt that what God says and what he does when he shows up in our lives, even if it's uncomfortable, is purely love and it's purely what we need. And I was thinking about that, how I don't want to differentiate between God showing up in my life. Like, I love it when you tell me, my son, I love you. I'm, you know, no mountain, you won't climb up running after me. Like, I love that stuff. I love, I, I, I love that he loves me. Don't you? Come on. We sing the songs. They're great. But am I, am I okay on this side when God shows up and he makes me really uncomfortable because he starts pointing out stuff in my life that he doesn't like? Revelation that comes from God is amazing. But sometimes it's really uncomfortable. We like the stuff that we like. But man, please, I'm asking the Holy Spirit, and it's wise for us, don't let me shut down the things that you want to say to me that I don't want to hear. Because those are the things I need to hear. I thought about um, so much of our Christian life, and Jesus does not turn the heat down the closer that you get to walking with him. He turns the heat up. And so much of what Jesus says is uncomfortable. And it pushes against the cultural norms. I had a really wise mentor in my life, and he told me, be careful of the difference between peace and comfort. Okay, I'm going to try to unpack that a little bit. I came to him and I said, I'm going to make this decision, and I have a lot of peace about it. 
And he said, hmm, I'm not so certain you have peace about it because of the way that you said it, it sounds like you feel more comforted to do it. The things that God can, can yes, the Holy Spirit is our comforter in our mourning and our difficulty, he comes to comfort us. But, but so often, God, fate, God brings to us uncomfortable, risky things that he's calling us to do, and the peace comes after we do it. But it is not comfortable while he's doing it, while you're walking in it. Does that make sense? Think of your last big step of faith. Was it comfortable? But sometimes we're like, we ain't going to do that because it feels uncomfortable. That's not a lack of peace. That's you're just not comfortable with it. That's something different. Let me give you an example. The, the Bible has certain moral standards in his word, in the word of God. Moral stands today, a moral stand on sexuality, a moral stand on you name it. That used to be like normal stuff freaks everybody out to actually say it to the point that if you say that something is wrong, another person will come up and go, man, I'm so glad you said it's wrong to commit adultery. That was bold. That, that wasn't bold. It's the fear that looms over all of us that we will lose friendships or that we'll be canceled on some level. Does that make sense? So the moral stands of the Bible are uncomfortable. Okay, I'll take another one. Giving your money away is uncomfortable. Now, some of you have grown in this discipline of giving and generosity to the point where it's not anymore. It's a joy to you. But, but as, you, as you begin to get into that and you think like, oh, the Bible has this thing about 10%. That's a lot of money. And you begin to think what you could do with that. It is uncomfortable to follow that revelation where God says, hey, go ahead and test me in and see what happens when you're faithful to me, what I'll do for you. That's different than you saying, ah, I'm not generous because I just don't have peace about it. That's Christianese for I don't want to do it. <laughs> right? See the difference? Peace comes as a result of obedience. Comfort is what, what we want when we want fried chicken and mashed potatoes and brownies and, you know, whatever else. People are like, I'm going to Cane's after this. There, you done it. you done it, Danny. <clears throat> They're two different things, and, and, and God is so good. He's so good to us. Sometimes we don't really like to talk about the stuff that he does that makes us feel uncomfortable. So in my notes, I put moral stands can be uncomfortable. Generosity can be uncomfortable. Risky steps of faith that everybody around you, including your Christian friends, are like, what are you doing? Because you believe that God spoke something to you and he, he gave you an uncomfortable revelation and you decided to do it and, 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 and it's just uncomfortable. Have you ever been there before? I always like to share this one because I was um, in my early 20s. I'm on the mission field. I'm coming and going, and I remember a, a, a well-meaning Christian, you know, well-meaning, older than me, pulled me aside, and he said, hey, when are you going to stop doing this stuff? I said, what? He said, well, when are you going to slow down and settle back here in the States? Because if you don't do that, man, you're never going to find a wife. <laughs> I was so, like, Everything in my world was about like steps of obedience, seek first the kingdom, and all these things will be added. I'm, I, I was so taken, it, like, it wrecked me. I was like, wait, am I supposed to do that? Like, this guy's older and wiser, and he passes the offering in front of people and stuff. And like, you know, 
he was wrong. I got the best wife on the planet. Like, he was wrong. So, so, so the point is this. I think I've, I've belabored it. I don't need to keep going. So, so don't mistake peace for comfort. I, I, I like this. It's always made sense to me that the, the cross, and that's where we can get down into the third day now. The cross is either the way for us, right? It's either the way of our salvation. It's the resurrection power that we function under, or it's just in the way. It's either the way or it's in the way. And, and what I mean by it being in the way, it's like, oh, I want to live, do my own stuff. I don't want to be generous. I don't want to make that step of obedience. I just want, oh, can't I just be comfortable? You're going to be confronted because you're a follower of Jesus. You sing the songs, you do the stuff. The cross is going to be there. And it's either going to be something that we embrace and say, through this, God, we've got this. We can, I can obey you. Or it's going to be like, oh, you know, it's kind of like when you're, in your, you're trying to compromise and you knew what it was like to be in the world and you used to love to do X, Y, or Z that you knew was pretty sinful, but it felt so good. And then you begin to follow Christ and you go do it again. You're like, oh, it's not even fun anymore. <laughs> right? The cross got in the way. So it's either the way or it's in the way. One is his will, one is our will. So sometimes we neglect to do or say um, or believe the right thing because we're not comfortable with it. That's just become a term that we can say for anything. I'm not going to come to work today because I'm just not comfortable with it. It's true, right? I'm not going to do that right thing because uh, I'm sorry. We can say it all nice and sweet. I'm just, just not comfortable with that. And it's like this magic phrase that everybody has to go, oh, okay, I don't want to get sued or be in trouble, so yeah, okay, you know, do whatever you want, we'll keep paying you, just don't. Just get comfortable quick. <laughs> Sometimes we neglect to do it, do the right thing, believe the right thing, because we're not comfortable with it. This was uncomfortable. God showing up was so uncomfortable. This is something we should look into in our life. Why are we not comfortable? Are we uncomfortable because of fear? Are we uncomfortable because of confusion? Are we uncomfortable because of deception? And we ought to look at that. Peace comes after you take a risk or a stand for righteousness. And comfort sometimes keeps us from doing the wrong thing or doing the right thing or going closer to him or hearing his voice. I'll let that settle and I jump into chapter, verse 17, excuse me. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke. You begin to get the picture. Because the Lord had descended on it in fire, and the smoke went up like smoke from a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. Can you imagine? I mean, like Saddleback Mountain right there. Something if we just like, it was all smoky and moving and crazy. I mean, that's, this is, Wow. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder as this momentum. And Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And and I don't have time to keep doing this, but there's a lot of up, down, up, down that's happening. And the Lord said to Moses, he just got up there. It's not easy to get up there. He says, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord, and many of them perish. And also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to the mountain, um, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. Do you get a pattern how Moses relates with God? He, he often negotiates with God. 
And you remember at, at, the, at the burning bush, he was negotiating with God. This time he, get, like, he tells God, he quotes God, and God's like, just go do it. <laughs> He's like, we're not doing this burning bush thing again. And, and Moses said to the, um, excuse me, Moses quotes God, and then in verse 24, the Lord said to him, go down and come up and bring Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through. Come up and so the Lord, come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. And so Moses went down to the people and told them. The up down, there's a lot to it, but one of the things that, again, I have to reiterate, it's so important about our God, that the God of the Bible comes to you. He, Moses is the mediator. Moses is bringing the message. The people don't go up to God. God comes to you. Every other religion in the world, every other religion of the time, they have to go up to God. They have to find him, figure out what he wants, hope that they didn't offend him, hope that they pleased him enough to bless their crops or their womb or whatever else. Our God is different, specific, very detailed, and comes to us. That's a beautiful thing that contrasts him from every other religion. And so as I wrap this whole thing up and as we begin to prepare our hearts for communion, this is what's really important. That there are two mountains, there are many mountains, but there are two mountains that contrast in the Bible. And one is Mount Sinai and the other is Mount Zion. Mount Zion is in Jerusalem. It's a different mountain than, than, than Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is in Arabia. Mount Sinai is away a in a, a remote location where they camp. Mount Zion is in the city of God. Mount Zion is in the area where the crucifixion occurred, where on the third day, Jesus rose again. And Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, just lays it out for us. And here, just listen, and please, I know I've gone for a little while, but if you could, just hear this, this is so important. He ties together these two mountains, and he contrasts them. The Bible contrasts them. Because Mount Sinai is a good place for us as believers to visit, but it's not a good place to live. It's a good place for us on a Sunday to be reminded of the holiness of God, but we don't live on Mount Sinai. We live on a different mountain. We live on Mount Zion. And, and listen to this mountain. It says, For you have not come, that to, to what may be t- um, you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest, and, and, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the, heaven, made the hearers beg that no further message would be spoke to them. In verse 20, it says, they could not endure the order that was given. Even, and then he quotes this 19 directly, if even a blast touches the mountain, they shall be, excuse me, even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Now here comes the contrast. New Testament believer, believer of Jesus because of the third day. You come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who were enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And listen to this. And to Jesus, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and the sprinkled blood that speaks better than the blood of Abel. Abel's blood cried out for, for justice, right? The, the, the first, first family of the Bible, the, the murderer, his brother murders him and his blood is crying out for justice. The blood of Jesus cries out forgiveness. The blood of Jesus cries out hope for us. We live in a different mountain, Mount Zion. I want to read this book, this uh, passage from Revelation 1, 5 through 6. 
and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I'd like to invite our worship team to to come up, and they're going to sing this song, None But Jesus. Again, thank you for hanging in there with me. But in these last moments, we have the opportunity to, to come to the Lord's table in communion. So many things that we can talk about with communion. But I, I, I really hadn't intended to say all that I said about gossip or even so much about what we're comfortable with or not comfortable with versus what, where we have peace. But I can't help but, but, God, but think that God's stirring something in us. And as we come to, to communion, we come with the opportunity to, to break bread together, to do something that's symbolic of, of unity in the church, but also to remember the mountain that we live on, Mount Zion in the presence of God, the place where we're forgiven and where we can be made new. And... As you're breaking bread today, in fact, I'm just going to let you get over the awkward part of the opening it. We should have an instructional video. The thin one on the top gets the wafer out. And I dream of a day coming soon where we won't have to use these. But I'm grateful that we have them. I mean it. I'm grateful that we can break bread together. So what you're holding in your hand are symbols, but so much more. That's the only way I know how to explain it. That the wafer is his body that's broken for you, and the blood is, the cup is his blood that was shed for you. That this is the new covenant of God's grace. This is the blood that speaks forgiveness and ultimate justice. This is the body that was broken for you so that by his stripes you can be made whole. And it's a wonder. It's a wonder. This is a wonder. This is special. This is something that we approach with the principle that was laid out in the Old Testament as special. This isn't isn't ordinary. This is special. And we kind of consecrate ourselves. We, we come away from the things that could make us impure or, 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 or contaminate us from being near a holy God. That principle that's there, the New Testament gives us a way to do that and, and, and to search our heart and to be sure that we're not doing this in an unworthy manner. And, and don't make that part just go by real quickly, but allow some uncomfortable feelings to come out. Allow the Holy Spirit to point out some areas in our lives Maybe it's the disunity that we've contributed in. Maybe it is some things like gossip or, or whatever else. If, if you need, um, if you don't have the elements of communion, Andy's there with them if you'd like them. Just raise your hand, we'll come to you. But, but if, if there are things, and I don't want to get too suggestive, I want to allow the Holy Spirit to give you some time to, to think about your life and to invite the Spirit in so that you can be free of sin by confessing it to the Lord and then as you break bread together with all of us that we all can come 
in a worthy manner before our God to his throne of grace where we come with confidence and boldness. Let's just take a moment and as they sing the song, um, let's allow the Holy Spirit to, to come in and just speak to our hearts. thank you today. We have this picture of these two mountains that the one where you showed up in, in power was terrifying. And it's that mountain that convicts us, that mountain that helps us to realize that we're not enough, that we can't hit the mark. But this other mountain, this Mount Zion, reminds us of this new covenant of grace where you do that for us, where you pay the price for sin and all the contamination that goes with it and all the stains that come with it 
and then you resurrect on the third day in power and you give to us resurrection life. God, we're reminded of that today. We remember the cross. We remember the third day. We remember the invitation that you give to whosoever would come and follow you. Lord, the eternity that we get to spend with you, the kingdom that we get to walk with you in. Thank you for for Mount Zion. Lord, as we hold these things together, we thank you, Jesus, that you are, are more than enough. We couldn't be enough, but Jesus, you are more than enough. Thank you for the sacrifice that you made. Tenderize our heart, soften our heart, Lord. Remind us of where we ought to live, the posture that we should be in before you. Remind us, God, as we break and eat together. Thank you for your blood that was shed. The reminder from scripture that without it, there could be no remission of sin. Jesus, thank you that we are forgiven in you and that as we drink, as we taste the, the, the bitter taste of the juice, reminded of what you suffered and what you went through. We're also reminded that there's life life to the fullness in you. Thank you for a fresh start today. Thank you for the truth that when we confess our sin, you're faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you that you walk with us and you lead us and guide us in paths of righteousness for your namesake. Thank you, Jesus. We remember. Let's drink together. you'd like to stand with me, I'd like to just kind of pray a prayer of blessing over you. And I want to remind you that we're not in a hurry to get out of here. If you need prayer for anything, if something struck you today, or you just need someone to stand with in prayer, we're here at the front to pray with you. God, I pray that today the joy of the Lord would be the strength of your people. God, I pray that they would know the depths of the love that you have for them that they would know and be reminded of how you made the first move in their life and how you carry them on eagle's wings. Lord, that they would be reminded of your faithfulness and your power and your holiness and how special it is to be called a child of God. And then I pray, God, that they would be reminded of how boldly now they can approach your throne of grace and that they can certainly visit Sinai and should often but because of the third day, they can live on Mount Zion. Bless your people. May they walk in your presence today and all throughout the week. And I thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Amen. God bless you.
if I, if I could, if uh, those are our, our deacons that are here, and, and Ron and Shelly, we want to come and pray for you. And anyone else that would like to join uh, in praying and blessing them on their way, uh, please come and join us at the front.